Amen. Thank you, Monty. Grace Hill, how are we doing? Good? Y'all ready to go? So, uh, yeah, Alan is, as we mentioned, Alan's with our trip in the DR, doing some women's ministry. I think they're already, I've, see, I've seen a few pictures, and I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, they're doing some biblical training, and so y'all just be praying for them. We've got a great team there. So, uh, But I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to continue on in Luke chapter 5, and I love this passage today because this is essentially the passage where Jesus calls uh, the first disciples. So Peter, uh, James, and John, which is kind of, which would come to be uh, known as his inner circle that he really was close to, who he confided in. And so uh, it's, it's him calling them into ministry out of their kind of, they were fishing. And so I think this passage is really good for us as disciples or as followers of Jesus because in it we see the process by which the Lord calls us into ministry, into our unique God-ordained ministries. Because uh, the reality is that each one of us does have a unique ministry. We all have specific skills and giftings and talents that we are given by God so that we can serve each other, so that we can serve the church, so that we can serve our communities. Right? None of us are called to just sit on the sidelines. We all have a God-ordained ministry to embrace. And uh, sometimes this is tough for us. It's hard for us to engage in this way. A lot of times we don't maybe know what we're good at. Uh, We don't know how our skills might benefit the church. Maybe perhaps we feel as if our past disqualifies us from serving the Lord or serving the church. Um, That's a very real feeling. Maybe we feel like we just don't know enough to serve in ministry. Uh, But thankfully we are in good company because this is Peter's story, right? God taking this broken man and using him to do incredible things things for the church. And so that's where we're headed today. So let me, let me read our text uh, for this morning, and then I'll pray, and then we can, uh, we can jump right into it. So Luke chapter 5 will be in verses 1 to 11. 1 to 11, so you all can follow along, and we'll have this on the screen. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word, because he's preaching now, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So this is the Sea of Galilee on the western side, kind of northern-ish Israel. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So getting into one of the boats, this is kind of presumptive uh, of Jesus, it's kind of funny there, which was Simon's, so Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Basically saying we fished all night. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled the boat so that the boats began to sink. Pretty crazy. Verse eight, but when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, watch this, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him 
Let me pray for us. Father, as Monty prayed, I pray that your spirit would just speak to us now. Lord, as we talk about what it looks like to embrace our callings. Lord, as we look to Peter, as we see this interchange and we glean from it, Lord, I pray that we would just see principles that help us to understand the means and the methods by which you call and move us into our own ministries. And so, Jesus, we pray that you just speak and minister to our hearts now. Uh, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so, uh, so Julie and I, uh, my wife, love the Marvel movies, right? So Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, and we're actually, we're currently watching through all of them chronologically, which is kind of fun, like on our date nights here and there. And one of the newest characters to the MCU, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is Captain Marvel, all right? And uh, so this is the story of a woman named Carol Danvers, uh, who is from an advanced alien planet, right? But then she actually realizes later on in the movie that she's from Earth, and that somebody's kind of messed with her memory. And so basically she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know her purpose. She has this, like, existential identity crisis, right? So the movie goes on. The bad guys come in. Uh, eventually, Captain Marvel gets captured, okay? So she's in, in captivity. They're trying to control her. They're trying to manipulate her. Uh, but also going on in this moment is she knows that she has to save, like, a group of people, right? So she knows that they're in danger. And uh, so it's in this moment when she's in, in captivity that she realizes kind of who she is, right? So the power that lies within, her potential and all this. And so she's standing there in chains. This is kind of the climactic moment of the movie. She's standing there in chains, in bonds, and all of a sudden she starts to glow, and she like, you know, she breaks her chains, her hair starts floating, it's kind of crazy. I remember actually, I saw this movie with Jason Noble a year ago, and he and I looked to each other and we're like, man, she's about to light it up, about to go crazy on these people. And so she realizes her power, and then she just starts destroying people left and right, and it's just this awesome, cinematic moment. It's this great scene where you watch it, and you're just like, yes, right? It's exactly what you want to happen. It's kind of been building the tension the entire movie. And so I think we look at an awesome scene like this of how she realizes her potential, right? And we tend to think, all right, this is how, this is how somebody fulfills their destiny or how they realize their calling, how they find their purpose, right? It's in those clutch, tense moments in life where, man, you just gotta pull yourself together. You gotta rise above adversity. You gotta get it done. You gotta make it happen, right? And I think we tend to do this as well as as believers, as Christians. So, so, so put this on uh, kind of on a Christian plane, right? We look at people like Billy Graham, uh, like Beth Moore, Joni Erickson Tada, uh, John Pipers, and we're tempted to think, man, these are people who do great things for the Lord, and they do so because they have grit, right? Because when push came to shove, man, they had great faith, they got it done, and that's how the Lord used them, right? That's how the Lord called them. That's how the Lord moved them into their ministry. And this is how we tend to think, this is how we're tempted to think that God calls his people. We tend to view ourselves through this lens. We view our callings oftentimes uh, through this lens. And the problem with this view is that it's just not biblical, right? It's not what we see in the stories of the Bible. Uh, I can promise you, if you talk to Billy Graham, to John Piper, to Beth Moore, to these folks, about this, they would tell you a different story about how the Lord called them, how he prepared them, how he moved them into their unique 
ministries. And basically, this is what we see here in, in Luke chapter 5, right? Peter is basically just a redneck fisherman, that's who he is, smelly fisherman, with a rough past, and we see the junk from Peter's past kind of resurfacing again and again and again throughout his time with Jesus. Makes a lot of mistakes. And yet Jesus just loves him, he is patient with him, and he just re- keeps reaffirming the calling that he has on Peter's life. And so uh, the title of this sermon today is called The Nature of God's Call. The Nature of God's Call. And what I mean by that is, is basically the means by which the Lord humbles us, teaches us, and then reorients our gaze on him. How he commissions us and how he gives each one of us a unique ministry so that we can be a blessing to others and for our joy and for his glory. And so today we'll be looking at at this process by which the Lord calls each one of us into our own unique God-given ministries. And so here in Luke 5, uh, there's about, about roughly six steps to how we see that. And uh, this is kind of like a process. So we're going to look at each one of these steps. Uh, this list isn't exhaustive and it's loosely chronological. Uh, but I think what we see from this text is a general paradigm, right, for how the Lord calls and moves us into active gospel ministry. And so with that, we're going to jump right in. So step number one is this. Uh, Actually, let's do this. Let's read verses four and five first. So we'll put these on the screen. So back to Luke five, verse four. So when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he says to Simon, to Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So the first step is this, number one, obedience to our Savior. Obedience to our Savior. This is the first step in the process of the Lord calling us to ministry as believers. Uh, So Simon Peter's out fishing all night. Uh, They catch nothing, and then Jesus just comes along. He says, hey, guys, try it again. Cast your nets back into the ocean, into the sea. Uh, and And so they do that. And I think it's also important to acknowledge quickly right off the bat, I don't think Peter had like perfect faith here, right? I don't think he was just full of joy and excited to do this. Uh, Here's probably how, knowing Peter, here's probably how his thinking went, right? Okay, Jesus, uh, I saw you back in chapter four last week. I saw you heal heal my mother-in-law. That was kind of cool. Jesus, you seem to be teaching with some measure of authority. Um, I see that, but I'm not really sure how, how that, how your power has bearing on on this circumstance per se, because we're just catching fish, we're just working, right? But because I've seen a little bit of your power in the past and your goodness, we'll try it, right? We'll we'll be obedient. We'll just, we'll take a chance here. And man, isn't this, isn't this totally us? I feel like each one of this, each one of us in this room can point to little ways in our lives, even small ways where, where God has shown us his power and his goodness And I think that's just the little spark that the Lord is is calling to mind in Peter, uh, but also in us, right, through small glimpses of his power, as he calls us into deeper obedience to him. Based on some of the conversations I've had with you guys, uh, I feel like mentoring uh, here at Herndon Middle, which is something we actively do, is actually a great example of this. Uh, Because they're middle schoolers, right, really tough age. Uh, They can be kind of awkward. Um, a lot of times we don't know what to say, we don't know how to act. We sometimes are a lot more scared of them than they are of us. Uh, and yet, because we've seen God's power and goodness 
in other ways, right, even though we can't necessarily connect the dots to how that connects to our present circumstance, how that's going to manifest itself, we can be confidently obedient. And I really think that what we're intended to see here in Luke 5 is how that initial step of obedience, even though it might not make a ton of sense, remember the guys are just fishing, how it really begins, how it can really kick off the Lord calling us into our unique ministries, whatever that may look like. So again, step one is obedience to our Savior even when it doesn't make sense. Let's keep going. Verse six and seven. And so when they had done this, they cast out the nets. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came, and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And step number two is this. As the Lord calls us, he provides everything that we need. He is the great provider, right? So Peter, Peter casts his net. He's obedient. Again, probably not perfect faith, but he's just being obedient. And the Lord shows up, and he just provides all of these fish. It's crazy. It's an abundant provision to the extent where the guys are like, okay, Jesus, we get the point, man. You have provided Please stop sinking our boats, right? Jesus shows up and he provides. Uh, another picture in scripture I think of, Alan preached on this probably about a year ago, but is with, uh, with Boaz and Ruth. So Old Testament story where Boaz has a garden, he's a wealthy man. Ruth is out gleaning in the garden, she's working. Boaz sees her and he's interested in her. And so as a gift, as a way of showing his love and communicating his love to her, he gives her all these bags of grain to where the biblical imagery that we have is Ruth walking with like these Sacks of grain, and it's kind of just an absurd image of the Lord's crazy provision. Boaz's provision to Ruth in that instance, in her life. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet... I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will will our Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, We talked about this last week, but again, I want to bring up, I don't even know if she's in here, but Laura Kane is one of our members here at Grace Hill Church. Uh, And Laura was a teen mom, Alan told the story last year, uh, really difficult circumstances, and yet she continued to be obedient to the Lord in different ways in her life. And over time, through her obedience, the Lord provided and was, was faithful to her. He watched over her, he guided her along the way. That little bit of obedience and then the Lord's provision acted as the catalyst by which she entered into her own God ordained ministry of loving on and serving teen moms, just as she once was. And so we see the the way in which the Lord began to call her into her own unique ministry. Grace Hill, this is how he does it. This is how he works. So that's step number two. As the Lord calls us, he provides for us above and beyond what we can imagine what we need. Verse 8. We'll go eight to 10. But when Simon Peter saw it, so he, he sees the miracle, right? 
he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so all were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. We'll stop right there. Step number three is this, in our process of how the Lord calls us, we see our own inadequacy in light of God's goodness. It's just a byproduct of what the Lord does. So I really wanna focus in on verse eight where Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, right? So Peter sees the holiness, the power, and really just the raw kindness of Jesus in this moment that he would bless, that he would provide for them in this way. And honestly, he just can't handle it, right? Because he knows what's in his own heart compared to how Jesus is. He says, Lord, just go away. I'm not like you. I don't deserve this. I'm unworthy. He probably thought, Jesus, you don't know the things that I've done, the things that I do. The prophet Isaiah has a similar response to Peter. In Isaiah chapter six, he has, the prophet has this incredible vision where he sees into heaven. He sees God on his throne, reigning, angels all around him saying, holy, holy, holy. It's just awesome picture. But he sees this, and what does he do? He, similar to Peter, he falls down on his knees, and he says this. He says, woe to me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king of glory. And so church, this is just the response of a sinful person, all of us, right? When we experience the raw power and goodness of God in light of our own brokenness. Right, we see who we truly are. And, and we naturally push away, I think. We naturally run away from that. Um, I remember vividly experiencing this to a certain degree uh, with my son, Levi, when he was about one years old, about one and a half. Uh, and he was getting into the phase of life where he, was, he could kind of discern right from wrong. So right, he would, we'd tell him not to touch something and he'd kind of like do this and he'd look back at us and he'd just get closer and he'd boop, you know, he'd touch it. And, uh, and so he, he, he would do that. <laughs> it was very frustrating. Still is. And so in one particular case, uh, he did something he shouldn't, so we discipline him, we're talking to him, and his initial instinct, we were in the, in the living room, was to run away from me and to hide behind our living room chair, um, which he's never really done that before, but in this one instance he did it, which, you know, breaks my heart, because as his dad, all I want in that moment is to be reconciled to my son, right? I want to forgive him, I just, hey, let's move on, let's, let's be reunited again, that's all I want. And so what do I do in that moment? I, I go over to him and I, I pursue him in his hiding, in his trying to run from me. And I just love on him. I hug him. I kiss him. I tell him, man, he's forgiven. I'm his daddy forever. I love him no matter what. Which is just a, it's just a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what the Lord does and what he's doing here. And so what Peter experiences as he tells Jesus to go away as he's tempted to run, is a very real feeling that we experience. Perhaps a sense of inadequacy or unworthiness, especially when it comes to us being called and what we feel like the Lord might be calling us to do. Good news is, is that this is uh, very normal and it's all just a part of the process that the Lord takes us through as he moves us into our ministries. And so if step number three is the bad news in terms of uh, bad in a certain way, uh, in terms of our feelings of inadequacy in light of God's goodness, uh, then step four is the remedy to this. So verse 10, still in verse 10, Jesus says to Simon four simple words, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. And so step number four, Jesus comforts those he calls. And if you're a disciple, if you are a Christian, then you are called, again, as we've said. Uh, in Peter's moment of distress, in the midst of trying to, to alienate himself from Jesus, Jesus pursues and he comforts him. Do not be afraid, which is, again, this is, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus does. Uh, there's a great quote by uh, Tim Keller, famous pastor that I love, and uh, he says this. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet... At the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. That's the good news. And this is exactly what Peter was experiencing, and it's exactly what Jesus was addressing in him. 2 Corinthians 1 is a, sort of a famous passage on how the Lord comforts us. And I, I really like the message version. So this isn't a translation of the Bible. It's more of a, a loose paraphrase, just, just so we're aware. But it says this. It says, all praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of mercy, God of all healing counsel. I love that intro, it's really great. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but none more so than the good times of his healing comfort. And what Paul tells us here at Church in Corinth is that the natural outflow of the Lord's ministry to us is then that we minister to others. The Lord comforts us as a means of, of moving us into our unique ministry calling. And so that's step number four in our process. The Lord comforts us as he prepares us for ministry. And in the very, uh, the very end of verse 10, we'll get to our... our um, our fifth step here, we squeeze kind of all we can out of this verse. So do not be afraid. And then lastly, from now on, you will be catching men. You will be fishers of men. And so this is a famous passage that many of us might be familiar with. Uh, but step five is this. In the process of calling us to ministry, step number five, the Lord commissions us to pursue people. And he does this even though we might feel unworthy, as Peter did. Right, so I love this imagery right here. Think back to our prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Remember, Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord in heaven. He's reigning, he's ruling, there's angels. It's crazy. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. So he talks about his lips. Then the angel in the vision comes down with a burning coal and he touches it to Isaiah's lips, which is this awesome imagery of the Lord purifying Isaiah for the purpose of ministry. And so, right, his lips are unclean but now his lips are made clean, they've been purified. And the Lord then says, who shall I send to my people? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And so the Lord says, go and deliver my message, speak my message to my people. So the Lord, his lips are unclean. The Lord comes and cleans and purifies his ministry, and then, or purifies his lips and then prepares him for his ministry where he would speak out of his lips the message that he would have from God, which is awesome. He gives Isaiah a ministry after he works in his heart. And so as we, say, uh, as we say that word commission, we might be tempted to think, okay, what does commissioning mean? How does that happen? That seems like kind of just a, a churchy word. How does that occur? Uh, well, remember, if you recall, uh, Jesus said, you will be fishers of men, right? Which is a pretty, a pretty ambiguous statement. There's not clear handles. 
Uh, he doesn't tell Peter that he's going to be leading the kids' ministry. He doesn't tell John to be folding bulletins on Sunday mornings. He doesn't do that. Uh, instead, Jesus is intentionally ambiguous as he highlights the principle of, no, you're going to go and pursue people, however your giftings or however you feel led, in the same way that I pursued you here today. So, so go do it, Peter. I'm commissioning you to do this. And this is the Christian calling. And oh, by the way, as you do this, joy is going to flood your life and your heart because you're not just focused on yourself any longer. You are fishers of men and women. And so that's step number five in the process. The Lord commissions us to pursue people. And then verse 11. And so when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. And so step number six is this. When we truly experience Jesus' power and goodness, we, lay, we leave everything to follow him. When we truly experience who he is and what he has done, he's worth following. And so uh, as we arrive at the end of our story, Peter has now, he's been obedient, right? And as a result, he's seen the Lord's overwhelming provision in his life through the fish. Uh, he's been confronted with his own weakness in light of Jesus' goodness and love. Through that, the Savior has brought comfort to his soul. And then the Lord has commissioned them to pursue people, to be fishers of men and women. And so in light of all that, what is, what is Peter's response? He says, Lord, I'm going with you, Right? He, he decides to follow him. It actually says that they, plural, they followed him. In John 6, we have a similar response from Peter, although this time it's not just physical. He verbally expresses this. So Jesus is teaching. It's kind of a difficult teaching. And a lot of Jesus' disciples walk away from him. They leave him. And so Jesus turns to the 12. He says, well, what about, what about you guys? Are you all going to leave too? What do you say? And I love Peter's response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter acknowledges, man, this might be a hard saying, but we've seen who you are. We've seen your power. We have seen your goodness, your kindness, your love. And so we're gonna follow you. Uh, Matthew 13, 44 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covers up, okay? Then in his joy, he go and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Grace Hill, do we really feel like this about the kingdom and about following Jesus? Is he worth leaving everything behind? And so Peter and the gang, they say, Jesus, we're sticking with you because, man, we've seen you do too much. We've seen you be too faithful to us to just walk away now. We're sticking around. And so step number six is that when we experience Jesus' power and his goodness, we leave everything to follow him. And what I really love about Luke 5 uh, is what, what kickstarted this whole process of Peter being called and experiencing this and following Jesus. It was just a little bit of obedience, a little bit of obedience that, again, was likely laced with skepticism on the part of Peter but he stepped out in obedience and the Lord used it as a catalyst for kickstarting this whole process and for moving him into gospel ministry. And so, Grace Hill, as we wrap up, 
if there's one big application that I want us to walk away with today, uh, and, and man, of course the Lord is sovereign over this. The Lord moves in us before we even respond, we believe. Uh, he is the initiator um, in the whole equation. I think he's preparing Peter's heart in the story. But in all this, what was, what was Peter's response? And then what is our response when the Lord draws near to us? How do we respond? I think our response is that of Peter's, which is just to take a step of obedience. Just do it. Uh, it can be a small step. It can be, it's okay if you're a little skeptical. Uh, it's okay if you're scared. It's okay if your heart isn't 100% in the right place. This side of eternity, it never is, right? But just do something. Just be obedient in the way that you feel like the Lord might be pressing you. Uh, going back to Matthew 13, that whole treasure hidden in a field verse that we just read a minute ago. Man, I think more of us would feel that way of just following Jesus with total abandon. If we would just take a small step, if we would take small, regular steps of obedience and just give the Lord space to provide and to work in our lives so that he can show us his goodness and his provision despite our weakness. And so as Christians, I think what we have to be thinking is, how can I posture myself in a way that says, Lord, I'm not sure exactly how you're gonna work here, right? Because remember, Peter and the guys, they're not doing anything special or spiritual. They're not serving in the temple. They're not serving at their local soup kitchen. They're just fishing. Uh, they're just doing their job, trying to find, make their livelihood. They're just at work. But they were obedient in what the Lord had called them to do in that specific moment. And so he shows up. The Lord shows up. And so what I'd love for us to do is this as we close out. I'd love for us to take two minutes and uh, just quietly sit and, and pray to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it? And so we'll actually put these on the screen too, uh, Joe. Uh, but what is it that the Lord might be calling you to be obedient in? Some of you already know exactly what that thing is or things. Uh, some of you might have no idea. That's okay. Uh, but I would encourage you to take two minutes to ask the Lord to reveal to you what step of obedience he might be pressing you in, kind of in that direction. And then I would encourage you to write it out. So if you have a pen and paper, of course, write that out. Uh, all of us have smartphones, so take out your phone and open up the Notes app and make a little note. It can be one sentence long. But pray and ask the Lord what um, he might be encouraging you and pressing you in, and then write that out. And so we're gonna actually invite the band to come up at this time. So Matt and Amanda, y'all can come up. And uh, as they're doing that, you guys take two minutes in silence uh, and just talk to the Lord about this.
so Grace Hill, the reality is that God has a ministry and a calling for each one of us. Uh, and he usually doesn't call us into that through these crazy Captain Marvel superhero moments where we just kind of raise up and make it happen in our own strength. No, our Lord prefers to work in ways that are far more subtle, right? And as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came down as a poor, humble, uh, destitute child in a horse trough in a manger, so too he calls his children to greatness through obedience in the regular, small, often unseen rhythms of life. And so, Lord, we come to you now and we pray that you would just show us where you are calling us to be obedient. Father, knowing that that is the way in which uh, you call us out. Father, the way that you minister. Lord, we pray that your spirit would just teach and lead us now. And Lord, even God, as we sing, as we worship you, pray that we would just see you for who you are, Lord, that, see, that as Peter did, we would see your power and your goodness more clearly. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Why don't you all stand as we worship together?